I'm so proud of him. I've been working with him a long time, trying to, <laughs> trying to get, get him going, man. Um, Joe Beth, she in here? No? Okay, who stole my microphone? I guess I don't, I'm going to have to do it without it tonight. My wireless mic, somebody's picked it up for one of these skits or something, and it's disappeared. But, but um, I want you to go to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Andrew, I couldn't help while you were singing. I, all I could think of was Gomer Powell. Um, have to be old enough to remember that. Gomer Powell. He uh, just out of, out of a sudden, you know, he could just belt out this incredible voice. And this young people have absolutely no idea who I'm even talking about. All right. Um, let's see. I thought I saw some more visitor cards up here, but I guess not. I guess I already introduced them. Romans chapter 4, we're going through the book of Romans, trying to go through it prim- basically verse by verse, but uh, we're going to uh, begin with chapter 4 tonight. We pretty much finished up chapter 3, and it, it's not a, you know, just absolutely verse by verse. We'd probably be here for 10 years, but, but, uh, but we are going uh, as much as possible as we can to go through this. It's so important. The, the book of Romans is this, the book that gives us our, so much of our doctrines of, of the Bible. And uh, we, we spend a lot of time in the book of Genesis in Sunday school class because it's, it's foundational to, to, to virtually everything that, uh, what I say is where the precedent is set for all the rest of, uh, of life is set in the book of Genesis. It's set uh, in the book of Genesis. Now in, in the book of Romans, it gives our, our, uh, our doctrine. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 4, and we'll just read a few verses, but um, in verses one through three, it says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? So the, the question comes, uh, you know, what did Abraham figure out? What did he find out about this whole thing? He says in verse two, it says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. We're going to read more verses, and we'll go into some more, but that'll be our beginning, and I'll have a word of prayer, and I'll begin. Father, I pray that you bless. Holy Spirit, guide my mind. I have a shortened time here tonight, but we had some wonderful things done tonight, and Lord, I pray that you bless, and Lord, thank you for the Koblenz to come to, to be with us, and what a beautiful song. Uh, both songs were just wonderful, and Lord, I thank you uh, that they're using their talents in, in, uh, for your glory. And then, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you just guide our minds, our thoughts for a few minutes, please. In Jesus' name, amen. In Romans 4, we, we clearly see that justification, and justification is, is uh, just, of course, a vital doctrine of the Bible, but justification, simple definition, is God seeing us as though we'd never sinned. And so God's looking upon us as though we had never sinned. That's justification. And, just, and, and, and we see in chapter 4 that justification is through faith. And it's going, to be, it's going to be pounded upon in this chapter that it's through faith. And then it says, uh, this very first verse, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation. And, of course, uh, we know that. If we don't, you know, of course, we, it's just some information for us. But he's uh, the father of the Hebrew nation. The key character here in chapter 4 is this, this man, this father of the Hebrew nation, this man named Abraham. Now, the Jews at this time believed 
that Abraham kept the whole law before it was given on Mount Sinai. They basically, they believed Abraham lived out the law and then it was given later. Now, because of that, they were proud of their heritage. They were proud that they felt like they came from a man who kept holy, kept completely the law. Now, uh, this passage, though, uh, Paul is going to refute this belief in chapter 4. And this is what he begins by doing. He's going to address Abraham and their belief that Abraham had lived out the law. And so he was their great example of that we were going to live the law, and the law was going to bring us righteousness. And, and so uh, this chapter 4, God is using Paul to write and refute that belief. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we say again, it says, what shall We say then that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found. And so Paul uses Abraham himself to illustrate that no one has lived the law completely except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to make this real clear to the people. God uses Abraham as an example so that all people, especially the Jews, would realize that Abraham could not fulfill the law in his flesh. No one could. And they're making clear that you may think Abraham did, but, but he's, going to, he's, just, he's saying to them directly, Abraham found out he couldn't. And that's what he found in this first verse. This is what Abraham's found out, that the flesh in my flesh is no good thing. And I can't live out the law. And so God's using Abraham as an example. So Paul asked the question again in the scripture God allows him to write it. What has Abraham found out about the flesh? And so verse 2, it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Uh, so clearly Abraham has no right to boast or glory in his works, even Abraham's works or his filthy rags to God. So Abraham found out that no matter how good he was, he couldn't be good enough. And that's what he really, that's what Abraham found out. And that's what Paul's saying to the people, look, Abraham found this out. It's about time you realized it. And so, and the truth is, is that that's not stopped till today. You know, why is this important today? It's not just some historical information. Uh, there's many people all around the Memphis area that still believe that somehow their good work's going to get them to heaven. That's right. And, and the Romans makes it real clear that the works are not going to get you to heaven. Amen. And so he, sim he simply uh, reminds us, Paul uh, says that Abraham has no right to boast or glory in his works, even Abraham's works. Uh, they, were, they were still not good enough. The most perfect man, so to speak, in their mind to ever live has no right to boast of his righteousness to the God of all righteousness. He's saying, Abraham, look, you, no matter how good Abraham was, when you stand before God, we come way short. Right. Amen. Uh, when we compare, and, and that's, that's one of the problems that, that again, the, the works religion type thing has, is we compare ourselves to, I don't know how many people are here in the Memphis area since I've been here, uh, where I've talked and, and visited with them and talked to them, and, and, and they'll make statements like, well, I, you know, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't act foolish, I don't run the streets, I don't do this, I don't lie, act like those people. It's not whether you act like those people, it's, act, it's whether you act like that one. Amen. And the truth is, we all come short. Amen. And so, 
Uh, that's what they're making so clear here. In verse 3, Paul simply reminds the people of what the Holy Scripture teaches in Genesis 15:6. Paul's going to quote Genesis 15:6 to a standard. He says, uh, in Genesis 15:6 says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 3 says, Where what saith the scripture? He's looking back to Genesis chapter 15. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And, and, and saying all the way back to Genesis, I don't know why you haven't gotten this, all the way back to Genesis, it was still his faith. Right. It was not his works. It never was his works. And so Paul is making clear to the people that the scripture supersedes man's traditions. And now this is really what he's saying here, and this is real applicable to today. We've got to understand, uh, he's saying, Paul is saying to them, your traditions do not supersede scripture. Now, this is a real danger zone today, a real danger zone. And it's, a, and it's an area that is attacked, brought great attack against Bible-believing churches. And, and that's this attack. Many say we have allowed man's traditions to supersede the scripture. Now, here's the problem. In some areas, sometimes we have. That's the problem. The problem is we, we want to rebel at that, but sometimes that can creep in. Now, here's my point, though. There's a real misunderstanding about it, and, and I want us at Calvary, to, I want us to really clearly understand that there's a difference between a biblical conviction and, watch this now, a very important preference. Now, I say it's a very important preference because there's some very protective principles that are not biblical convictions. But they're protective. They're very good. We must be careful to make sure that we teach doctrine based upon Scripture. Amen. And that's what's essential. And, and we won't get into trouble if we look at people and say, look, I'm not telling you that this is a biblical doctrine. I'm just telling you, common sense, it's good for you. Amen. You understand? That's all it comes down to. There's some things that are just wise. Look, the Bible never says don't walk in the middle of an expressway. <laughs> it don't say that. But I'm going to tell you, it'd be pretty smart not to. I've had a standing joke for about 30 years that people say, you're going to leave them a tip. I'll say, yeah, don't, leave, don't, don't, don't play on the expressway at night. And so that's a good tip. And so, no, I'm just kidding. So uh, uh, on the, now, many say we have allowed man's traditions to supersede the scriptures. So we must be careful to make sure that we teach doctrine based upon scripture. Now, on the other side of that coin, listen to this, those that complain the most, it seems to me, about we in biblical churches and, and really conservative churches that we have done too much teaching our, uh, our traditions rather than doctrine. Watch this now. On the other side of that coin, those that complain the most seem to also negate scriptural teaching if it does not fit their desires. Right. Yeah. That's right. They just say that, you know, that's a tradition. That's your, well, now, now, let me tell you, there are some things they're calling a tradition that they're biblically, biblically based principles. And so I just want you to understand that it's very important uh, that we don't base things. Watch this. You just get to, and you'll hear me say this a thousand times here, but please, 
I, if I get anything across here, we've got to be people that study the Word of God. But listen to me. You study it letting the Bible tell you what to believe rather than going to the Bible already believing and let it, let it prove what you want. Okay? It's very important that we don't do it. We've we got to go and go and search the Scriptures to see that it was so. See if it's so. And, and if the Bible says it, it doesn't matter if I like it, i got to agree with it. Amen. Amen? So, all right. Now, um, there are convictions which are based upon Scripture. And listen to me, there are preferences that are based on common sense, reason, and experience. Just are. Now, but it's important that we do not preach a preference as a conviction. It's a preference. It's just very wise. Now, preferences may be very good and protective, but they must not be taught as biblical command, whereas convictions, listen to this, whereas convictions cannot be up for debate at all, for they are scripturally determined. A conviction is nothing to debate. There's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to discuss. You can't argue with me about a conviction because I didn't make the conviction. God did. Brother Phipps just earlier was talking about a man to memorize, said he's going to memorize the whole New Testament. He said so that if he got in a debate with somebody, he, they wouldn't be debating him, they would be debating God. Well, I'm going to just tell you, it wasn't me. Because uh, <laughs> I do not have the whole New Testament. Oh, I do have the whole New Testament memorized, those words, New Testament. And so <laughs> Paul is saying that it matters not what the people think or feel or their opinion or their personal belief about Abraham. Here's the whole Paul is telling them, it doesn't matter what you think about Abraham. It doesn't matter how you feel about Abraham. It doesn't matter how you want it to be about Abraham. It doesn't matter that you want to be able to brag about Abraham. It doesn't matter. Scripture is a defining factor. That's what all he's saying. So it leads us to verse 4. Verse 4 is, uh, chapter 4 says, uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And so that's a real clear statement. And, it, and, and I told you there before, sometimes you know, as you go through Romans, you're going to feel like this is getting repetitious because you're kind of repeating some things. But it, you have to understand, as I teach this in college for years, I tell the young men, young ladies, look, I, I'm not repeating it. God is. And if I don't repeat what God repeats, so that, then I'm, I'm just... I'm taking the place of God. He's, he's going to repeat it. I'm going to repeat it. And so we're going to keep hitting this. So just in case they did not understand, or rather we do not, God allows Paul to make it a clear, definitive statement. Those who are determined to believe that we access God's justification through works will pay the debt they owe, and that debt is death, eternal death. Say it again, those who are absolutely determined to believe that we access God's justification through works, they may, but they're going to pay eternal death. Because what it says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Amen. You pay that debt, it's a, it's a tough thing to pay. It takes eternity. Now, verse 5, verse 5 says, but to him... So we're saying, look, you're going to work, you're going to pay the debt. But to him, and that's a wonderful thing, you know, I, I highlighted that word but. He said, but to him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It can't be made any more clear than that. The contrast between the world's two religions is demonstrated and explained in verses 4 and 5. All religions, all denominations are divided into two categories. That's do and done. Those that say you got to do something to go to heaven and those that say it's done. Now, the truth is I say all religions because some religions don't even believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, but they're still do religions. All those religions, all those Cults, all the, they all say you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. Something to find favor with whoever their God is. Only true Christianity says it's all done. Amen. Only true Christianity says it's all done. All done by Jesus Christ. And then we're given, in verse 6, we're given an example. He says, okay, I've made it real clear to you. Not only give you an example of what I'm talking about. It says, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, that brings us to another doctrine. We've talked about justification. Now we have this doctrine of imputation. Well, what in the world, you know, is that, that word, imputation? The word means that something has been placed on another person's account. It means placing something on an account. We owe a debt. Our debt is imputed to Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness is imputed or placed on our account. And that's what he's saying. David also describeth the blessedness. Now, blessedness, when blessedness is defined, it's almost always, it's got happy or happiness or happier is always in that definition. And so this, this person is, is happy. Anybody want to be happy? It don't look like it tonight. Somebody act like you want to be happy. Smile at me every once in a while. You, you know, everybody ought to get up here and have to speak just for a few minutes. And let me go out there and sit and look at you the way you look at me. It gets pretty scary. People just go, Hey, y'all, we're all right, okay? Now, this word means that something is placed on our account. We owe the debt. Our debt is imputed to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is imputed or placed on our account. The ledger has all debits placed on Jesus, and all credit is placed on our account. And that's a wonderful thing. Imputed, uh, imputed, Used to designate, this definition used to designate any action or word or thing as reckoned to a person. Doctrinally, the sin of Adam is imputed to all his descendants. Sin was passed upon all men. It was imputed to us. It's reckoned to us. They are dealt to us. Uh, and therefore, we're guilty. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to them that believe in him. And so... And our sins are imputed to Christ. That leads us to verse 7. It's saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And I won't take but just a few. I'm not going to keep you late. Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Amen. Now, there's so much in, in those verses. But again, blessed is happy. 
Happy are those whose iniquities are forgiven. Now, if you, if you know tonight that your sins have been forgiven for all eternity, Amen. that ought to make you happy. Amen. And again, every once in a while, you ought to get happy even in church. <laughs> it's okay to smile in church. It's okay to laugh in church. We ought to be laughing and happy because hey. our sins hey. are forgiven. Hey. I hate coming to church with a weight on my shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. My little daughter, she's... Uh, uh, she was talking, I talked to her about an hour today and, and, uh, and, and just such a strain, uh, uh, her husband's 40 years old. They have seven children. Uh, he had a heart attack. They put 10 stents in, uh, you know, and he doesn't have any clogged arteries, nothing like that. He had a spontaneous collapsing of the arteries. They think it's genetic. Well, they just found out that he has more tears in the arteries now. And one of those stents had collapsed. It's genetic. They want to do all kinds of Mayo Clinic is contact them about doing a study on them. And, 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 but I'll be honest with you, barring just a miracle, the grace of God, at any moment, another part of his arteries could collapse. And they said it was just a miracle that he lived last time. As I was talking to Ashley, she said, Dad, it just seems like such a weight. On me every second. You know, that's the way people are living right now that don't know they're on their way to heaven. Before I got saved, I had that weight upon me. But happier are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When you know that your sins are paid, the account is clean of debt, and not only clear of debt, but righteousness is upon it. That's amazing. We, he not only clears out our debt, but he puts his righteousness on top. Amen. This reminds, in verse 8, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. This verse reminds us of who gives this happiness. It is the Lord who will not impute sin. Amen. And I want you to know this is a strong language. This is amazing. The strong language. Blessed is the man to who the Lord will not Amen. impute sin. Amen. He will not impute sin. That's strong. Now that's something to hang your hat on. That's the Lord saying, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Do you know who that is? Anybody in this room that has trusted Christ as their Amen. Savior. He will not impute sin. That, that, you ought to get a little bit happy yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, look. Here's my illustration, and I'm done. Anyone here, then just let me ask you this. Anybody here, you got a credit card? No, come on, y'all. I didn't ask you how many you had. <laughs> Some of you can't sit, you sit sideways because you got so many. That's why some women could use their purse as a weapon. Now, anybody here, you have a balance on that credit card. Boy, we got some mighty spiritual people in here. Been through some financial planning or something. Okay, how happy would you be if tonight someone paid that debt and you had a zero balance? <laughs> would you get happy it's not going to happen but would you get happy if somebody paid off the entire balance tonight you got a phone call and it was wiped out dad 
uh, it would make me happy. <laughs> it would. Uh, if it was just wiped out, no credit card balance at all. And I don't really have a credit card balance. All my children have a credit card balance on my credit card. <laughs> now, that would make me really, really happy. Now, consider this. Think about this. I mean, if you'd be honest, you'd be thrilled to have all your debt wiped out. Wouldn't you? And I just, this is just amazing to me. Tonight, if the balance was wiped out and you found out that not only was your debt cleared, but you had an unlimited credit placed upon it. What is your first thought? Yeah. <laughs> now, a man would think, oh, glory to God. A woman thinks, oh, what I could do with that. <laughs> what I could spend that. Now, watch this. If you had unlimited credit placed upon your account, no matter how much debt you incurred the rest of your life, it was immediately wiped out by the unlimited credit. That would be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? Now this, honestly, here's the problem. People think, wow, you know, then you're just saying do whatever you want. Well, now the selfish man would spend on everything he wanted and desired and he would never be fulfilled. The truth is, the opportunity that he had been given for happiness, he would never truly have. Because he would take that unlimited credit and he would use it on himself. Now, but the unselfish man would take that incredible gift and find everyone in need and spend a life of happiness helping Others have that unlimited credit. That's what God would do. And that's what the Lord's teaching us here. He said, I wiped out your debt. And he did it a unique way. He didn't clear the account. He took the account on him. And he said, though, wait a minute. I'm not just going to take your debt. I'm going to give you unlimited credit. So if you ever go in debt again, it's already covered. Right. And it's already covered, but now what are we going to do with it? What are we as Christians going to do with this incredible blessing that we have? Blessed is the man. And we're blessed and we're happy. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go try to make somebody else happy? Amen. Now, we can't, but we can show them who can. Amen. The one who can wipe out their debit and give them unlimited credit. You know, the truth is, and I don't know if everybody feels it the way I do or likes it, but my wife says I'm a gift giver. I love to be able to meet somebody's need. 
I would rather meet somebody's need than meet my own need. But can I tell you, I don't feel like I ever have a need. There's something about spending your life meeting somebody else's need. You really don't ever feel like you have one. And the truth is, I don't really ever think I do. Because God always takes care of me. And what a great joy to take this amazing truth to someone else so that their debit is wiped out. It's a pretty incredible thing. That's what God's making clear in chapter 4. Now, that's just through the first eight verses. That's why it takes so long to go through this. But I don't want to keep you late, but I just challenge you tonight, if you still have a debit on your account, that's what we studied in chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we have sin upon our account, that debt as we just saw earlier in this passage, that debt's got to be paid for. It's got to be paid for. And the only way it can be paid for is by a death. And if we as human beings pay for it, it's an eternal death. We have another choice. Jesus Christ paid the death for us. Would you let him? Would you accept him? Let's bow our heads and...